As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I have the distinct pleasure today to be with Teresa Quinlan, founder and CEO of Teresa Quinlan, IQ plus EQ equals TQ. And also, I I interacted and engaged with Teresa first through the Humans First movement that we have a variety of friends and mutual friends in. And lo and behold, two years later or so, I had the opportunity to invite Teresa to join us on the podcast. Teresa, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's been a pleasure to spend some time getting to know you and in all of these different ways and spaces. So I'm excited to be here with you today. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, to our listeners, pull up a seat. To those that are watching, we hope you have enjoyed this conversation. And one of the things that we want to certainly dive into very quickly and something that attracted me to your brand very quickly was the EQ plus IQ equals TQ. So I'd like for you to break that down. And how did that come about? Like, because there's a there's an innate passion that's underneath that formula that comes from your experience. Would you mind sharing that with our audience? Absolutely. The stories that come behind when we start our own business and how we make these decisions about it, I, I think are really interesting because they afford you a look inside the individual's way of operating. And so when I started my business, I thought I want to brand it with something that's really important to me. And working in the space of emotional intelligence has been so life-changing for me personally. And then I've noticed when working with other people, very life-changing for them as well and can really transform not just individuals, but teams and also organizations. And so when you're embarking on like, what do I want to name it? (laughs) I first had thought about what I was like early on or earlier on in my 20s and navigating into the space of employment and really wanting to use all of my talents. And I led really heavily with my intellect, like the things that I knew. And I learned a lot in the space of wherever I was working. So I was intellectually informed. And then what I found most often got in my way was my emotional state, whether I was frustrated or anxious or disappointed, those emotions got in the way of me being able to access my intellect. And so when I started to learn about emotional intelligence in my late 20s, I was about 26 when I started the journey of educating myself and then learning those skills, I really noticed that closing that barrier or that gap really elevated my talent capacity, my ability to use my talent. So my talent quotient, which just really works well because my name is Teresa Quinlan. So the TQ initials, both in the formula, brands working with me to add that element of EQ, but also to elevate the use of all of our talents. So we just perform at a higher level. Teresa, with your experience, I think of this self-awareness is what I'm hearing. Like the when you're fully self-aware and also can operate by knowing yourself 
and understanding those you're engaging with and knowing them equally as well and how you connect the dots. I mean, part of this is self-awareness. The other part of it is really caring about the person on the other side of this conversation. It's an important trait to have. (laughs) Yes. And we have to do the internal work to be able to be better in the external world. So that emotional self-awareness piece is often a foundation in emotional intelligence because we have to be aware of our own emotions and be very accurate with how they're impacting us to be better at recognizing other people's and how we're influencing them with what we're bringing to the table, but then how also they might be influenced by their own emotional state as well. So it really does assist us with our social cueing and our social understanding. Sometimes we just call this skill empathy. So understanding where other people are coming from and acknowledging that. So the internal work is really necessary. And some of it is self-awareness. Some of it is just, yes, being able to look internally and go, hmm, well, that's interesting. I don't think that's working really well. And some of it is also by the grace of other people giving you feedback and saying, are you aware that your face looks like this? Are you aware that when you're frustrated or angry, you do X, Y, and Z? Are you aware that? And when they bring that into this space, it gives us an opportunity to say, I was not aware of that. Did that match with what my intention was? It didn't. So what is my intention? And how can I go about getting my intention across instead of the message I did get across? Yeah, and I know you talk so often about one of the greatest, maybe introduction points, pain points that companies express to you is that our team isn't engaging quite as well as we believe they could be. Where do you start? Where do you see that? I know we talk a lot about, is our team aligned? How do we build alignment with our team? And so much of that, or all of that, is relational, right? Is relationship. Again, the more self-aware you are, the more you can show up for your team. But walk me through, how do you help a company identify where their gaps are from a team engagement perspective? So the gaps can be quite broad. And what you mentioned is something really critical is they see the outcome failure. So they see the failure in productivity, efficiency, and a lot of wasted resources, but they also might feel the tension. So they see things and they feel things. And it really is the feeling space that is informing what they're seeing. But oftentimes we ignore the feeling space. And then try to layer on some some band-aid solutions to this is what I'm seeing. So let's try and do X, Y. Let's do some team building exercise. Everyone hold your arms together and Jim's going to fall and we're going to catch him. And now all of a sudden everyone's trusting each other. And I I know I laugh because I've been to those events and nothing changed after we went back. Like it was fun when we were there because we weren't at work for the day or two. But when we got back, nothing was different. And so the work that has to happen is twofold. One is employee ownership. Employees have to own how they are reacting to their interactions. They have to own how they come and show up to work. So are they emotionally well and emotionally sound and owning and responsible for all of that? So are they emotionally intelligent? And if everyone shows up like that, we're already better. (laughs) But the other piece is we need leadership excellence. So we need our leaders to be holding individuals accountable to the behavioral expectations we've put in place. So if we have an expectation 
that we want to be collaborative as a team. Well, what does collaboration require? Requires that we're brainstorming. It requires that we challenge ideas. It requires that we put all ideas into a pool and then create our solutions. So in order to do that, if we have someone on our team who bites another person's head off when they challenge their idea, if we have someone on a team who's quiet and doesn't contribute and the leader doesn't address those kinds of toxic behaviors, well, all they're doing is giving permission for those behaviors to occur and that disrupts our capacity to achieve the result of collaboration, which often contributes to innovation and employee engagement and motivation and performance. As you think through this, I'm just putting myself in my own lived experiences. And I ask our listeners to do the same. Like, think about when that, when that tension in the room has not just been, call it, you could feel it, right? You could cut it with a butter knife, but that you also feel it. It's emotional. It, it makes you go, gosh, I don't even want to engage in this discussion. I, I don't feel like the individual or individuals are going to hear what I'm actually trying to say because they have this impression of where we're going. And you know, when you talk about the team ineffectiveness or what holds people back, if you're dealing with those emotions on your team, you can't move forward because you really can't come and bring your best into those dialogues because you're thinking about this difficulty or situation. When you think through this with your clients and with those that you work with, again, it gets personal, right? So we got to look introspectively before we look to others. And Teresa, what really helped me personally was accepting that I can only control the intentions and words that I deliver in a healthy, productive way. What I can't do is control how you react to those. Although, because I'm a, I'm a, I don't know, some word, some use the word empath, I'm naturally gonna kind of feel your emotion and I'm gonna carry that too. Like, oh, I did it again. Or why is Teresa responding that way? And I didn't mean to, for that to hurt this feeling or touch on this difficulty. But these are corporate spaces. I mean, so many leadership teams, you know, mid-level teams inside of functions struggle with this, right? So what are you doing? What what steps do you have certain assessment tools that help bring out the self-awareness? Or, you know, that's the secret sauce that you have to engage with TQ to make happen. (laughs) Well, I don't hold anything back. So here is the secret sauce, so to speak. So the EQI 2.0 assessment for emotional intelligence is the most scientifically valid emotional intelligence assessment right now. And I use that because it sets a baseline to inform where we're starting from. So for each individual, it will demonstrate their skills across 15 emotional intelligence skills. For a team, it will start to highlight where we sit as individuals and where we live as a team. So what our sort of mean performance across certain emotional intelligence skills lie. When we're coming from the leadership position, as you mentioned, independence is a really important skill as a leader. In fact, it's one of the skills that is a derailer to leadership success if you don't have it. And independence is our ability to be self-directed and autonomous and going about what we need to achieve. But it is also our ability to be emotionally free from dependency on other people. So as you said, 
your personality is empath-based, which means on that empathy or empath sliding scale for personality, you lean more towards, I'm an empath. So you feel what other people are feeling, but you also absorb that into your own state. Independence as an EQ skill would help you to balance out that personality trait of you that can really derail you from making tough decisions, from calling people out on missing an expectation. When they come to you and say, you won't believe what happened. My son got hurt at school. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And you're like, look, I get it. We still have an expectation to hit. And it's not that we don't care about our employees. We care about them. We allow them to express what's going on, how they're feeling, what the barrier is in their way. And we also state the expectation and require that they elevate to it. And when they can't, then we have all of these other solutions ready in place. Do you need a wellness day? Do you need a sabbatical from work? We have other things that we can put into play to serve them and serve the team and the organization at the same time. Instead of trying to choose which one am I going to actually serve, we have to learn how to serve all. Yeah, the the strength that I, I mean, I worked with a coach, Teresa, to help me accept that, right? That that's not my, part of it's not my responsibility, but check yourself to make sure your heart's in the right place and your intentions are are good. And this was probably years of engagement in that relationship, right? And to the point that once I accepted that also contention, contrarians, people who think differently from me is actually an outstanding resource to have around me. It also helped me take a step back to say, oh, that's leadership, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So the EQI, the EQI, does that have a 360 tool? Do you use 360s? Yes. yes, it is. So when we're assessing leadership, 360 is necessary. You have to have other people assess you in order to be able to see your blind spots. Because what is most common in leadership is we're thinking we're doing A, B, and C, and others are telling us you're actually doing X, Y, and Z. And what's interesting is our peers might be saying we're doing X, Y, and Z. Our direct reports are saying you're doing E, G, and H. And our friends and family are saying you're doing M, P, and D. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, oh boy, what's happening here? And that each group of people actually experiences me differently. In all likelihood, it's because I don't show up as the same person in front of these groups of people. So my self-perception realm of emotional intelligence is low in its proficiency. And what I do is I put on different masks in front of different people thinking that this is helping me to be successful is to be who they think I'm supposed to be. And that is exhausting. And that elevates our emotional state into this state of stress and anxiety because it's exhausting and very difficult to remember who am I supposed to be with which group of people. And this creates one of the pillars in emotional intelligence leadership is authenticity. Yeah. So if yeah. I come and I show up authentically as me, what that usually does is it commands esteem from people that are around me. So what that means, not demands, commands esteem. So it's a natural occurrence. So respect begins to live, which means trust is capable of living in that space. Because when I'm not authentic and I'm inconsistent in how I show up, People don't trust me. And when trust doesn't exist, a lot of other things can't happen. 
that is so good. I mean, the other things are the state of brainstorming, creativity, even performance. I was at a conference in Chicago, Illinois, six years ago, and I was sitting with a, a group of people who were employed by my client. One of the individuals shared, you know, Mike, I just want to share this with you, that the work that at the time Centennial, our executive search firm, was doing with them, I can see the type of leaders that you brought into the organization because of, you know, what we talk about, our four C's, character, culture, chemistry, competency, and how that reflects inside of our culture. And I have never been in an environment that is so trustworthy that I can do. And this gentleman was in his late 50s. I've never felt like I didn't have to watch behind my back. Now, what I will go a step further, we have had that CEO on our podcast a couple of times, Jermamet Yuxik, and he also creates expectations that if there's not contention and confrontation and disagreement in meetings, we're not getting to the right levels of conversation. So he does that in a way. It's been really fascinating, Teresa, to watch a leader live what you're saying live this out, that like, that's what, you know, and, and we should be able to trust each other in that because our natural state, many people's natural state is to back away, is to stay away from the confrontation. And, and this leader expects like, if you're staying away, I don't need you on my leadership team, right? Because this is what we expect. I need you to go deep. And oh, by the way, fast forward, the greatest levels of innovation this organization has experienced in decades do not come from the leadership team. They right. come from the people who are closest to, and they're not afraid to raise their hand and ask the crazy questions of, have we ever thought about this? Or does anyone notice what our clients are really asking for or what they're really buying? Or has anyone, you know, this is a food manufacturer, has anyone tasted this product? Like, this is incredible. We should be leading with this, right? But people are unafraid because it's a culture of trustworthiness. And the only way you get there, listeners, is to take this type of, this type of equation, right? That Teresa's sharing, where you're bringing this emotional intelligence is, becomes a personal investment to know yourself and to know your teams and to also know that when you open that door, you're only opening the door. You've got to work with a consultant like Teresa or others to continue to help you advance, or there will be a significant gap and maybe even further difficult conversations and relationships. Teresa, so as we think of what you've experienced, what you're seeing relating to future of work, a lot of our listeners, probably most of our listeners around the world are, are still thinking through like, okay, so how does this relate pandemic? How does this relate post-pandemic? Has anything changed in this work that you're seeing based on behaviors? What 2020 did was it ended the argument or debate over whether our emotions actually impacted our performance. Yeah. That's what happened in 20. If we weren't aware of that before, we're definitely aware of it now. And from an organizational standpoint, that is incredibly eye-opening. One of the challenges, however, is the quote-unquote wellness initiatives that are layered on are not the right kinds of initiatives. 
So when we think about employee wellness and well-being, basically we're thinking about like, how happy are you at work? How many good, quote unquote, good labeled or well-based emotions do you experience on the regular basis at work? And if you aren't experiencing a high number of those, then in all likelihood, the emotions you're experiencing are indifferent ones or ones that are very uncomfortable way too often. And in those uncomfortable, unpleasant, low energy or high energy emotions, so we're thinking angry and we're thinking offended and we're thinking disheartened or disappointed, like those realms of emotions, we don't operate well in those emotional states. Most people, if not all, struggle to be creative or motivated or focused in those emotional states. And having so much forced change thrown at everyone in 2020 became very visible that those emotions were difficult for people to be productive in. Now, what resolved that, what some workplaces did exceptionally well, was they not only communicated, but they had leaders that executed on a few things. Just because you're at home (laughs) does not mean you should be working more hours. We know you're at home, and we know you may have kids and other family members at home. Don't try to make up for lost productivity right now. That is not our goal. Our goal is to be well at work. So be well and do good work, whatever that looks like for you. And so what we require in that space is executive CEO leadership to be speaking those words and then to live those words throughout, which means every leader and every level of leadership has to be held accountable to speaking them and living them, which means if I've got a leader who's sending emails at all hours of the night and their leader doesn't call them on that, then I'm going to start to feel like the words of leadership don't matter, that I'm supposed to be sending emails at all hours of the night and making up for this and that. Our ability to stay on top of these kinds of things is what true leadership is, right? When leaders put their hands in to-do tasks instead of leading people, then we're kind of sinking or tanking our leader's ability to be successful. So as far as how do we make this happen go, like what happened in 2020, what happened really in 2021 is the integration of these kinds of skills for leadership excellence, like emotional intelligence skills for leadership excellence, so that they can have expectations and hold people accountable so that they can get to know an employee's user manual. Like, how are you actually doing? My job isn't to solve it for you as a leader, but my job is definitely to recognize it and ask you about it and then hold you accountable to it. The RAA, recognize something is off with your employee, ask them about it in a way that opens up dialogue, (laughs) and then hold them accountable to elevating their performance in whatever way they need to. So if unwell, it's not my manager's job to fix that. It's my manager's job to hold the space for me to talk about it and help me with brainstorming and ideas. And can we be flexible? And can I shift my work hours? I had a team of people that were 100% remote from me. I never worked in the same space as they did. So everything we did for almost 16 years was virtual. I was set up for great success for 2020. I knew exactly how to live in the virtual space and had been working from home for just as many years. 
So something that was essential was consistent touching base with them, consistent noticing of shifts, the slightest shifts in their behavior, like if they didn't respond in our Slack channel or our Teams channel, and they usually do. And I'd be like, hey, notice you weren't responding today. Is everything all right? Like you've got to pick up on things so quickly. When our employee behavior shifts, it means they've already been in an emotional state that's disrupting them for a little while. And we want to correct that as quickly as possible in leadership. Yeah, I think through, there are certainly, Teresa, with the points you just made, leaders that have not recognized that are now recognizing it. Yeah. They're also, in some rooms that I'm in, virtual rooms that mostly that I'm in, there are some leaders who I still don't think are picking up that leadership is personal, that your employees' lives matter. We've been working really hard through our content, through our membership community, through our platform. We want to work with those that do, even if you're just now enlightened. We want to work with you to continue that journey because through the end of it, you know, we, we've been hearing more and more about the platinum rule versus the golden rule over the last year or two where, you know, golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated. Platinum rule, treat others as they want to be treated. Why have I not heard that very much except for the last like year, right? That should be natural. We should be looking for ways to know our people, to support them. And I love your comment of recognize, ask, and hold accountable, right? But we're hoping, I know that you are with much of the work that you're doing, that those that are, call it, awakened to this dialogue like, wow, not only does, do my employees have emotions and experiences, I've experienced emotions more than ever before. And what a gift to share that with your people, even if you're just now recognizing it, to say like, I've never opened up with you all like this quite like I have in the last several months, right? I'm acknowledging that. Yes, which will simply strengthen the relationships that we have with each other, which is called resonance. So the more we can create resonance within our workplace, which so we're on the same emotional wavelength, understanding each other in this fluid nature of going, you're off, I'm off, we're well, we're unwell. The more we pay attention in leadership to the climate of the emotional state, the better and more successful we will be at addressing it when it needs to be addressed and then reestablishing and elevating our performance again. Because every time there's a disruption in that or dissonance, every time as a leader, we feel one way and don't validate or acknowledge that our employees feel another way, we create separation. And in no space of separation does collaboration (laughs) occur. In no space of separation does loyalty occur. In no space of separation does trust occur. Like all of these things that we want to have in our workplaces and often are the cultural words written on the wall or in the signature line of your email, are the things that we're not doing. We're breaking our own rules over and over and over again. Wow. So your background, 16 years in learning and development, correct? Yeah. With that, have you seen leaders evolve? Do you believe that more leaders are understanding what you have identified and figured out as the, how to unpack the talent quotient? Like, How do we really unlock all of our potential? Do you feel like we're making progress? Yes, I do. And just as with anything, 
there's a state of readiness and willingness that is required for someone to want to navigate into the learning cycle. So, you know, progressive development, we crawl, then we walk, then we run. So as a leader, the entering the learning cycle, I believe a leader should always be in the learning cycle at some point in the learning cycle and adding tools to their toolkit. So it doesn't matter who's across from me as an employee, I've got a tool that I can use when they need it. Because if I define myself as a servant leader and I only have servant leader tools, then when I have an employee who responds to a coach or an affiliative or a pace setter, I don't have that tool. Right. I'm dead in the water or I'm trying to use a tool that doesn't work. I'm trying to stick the round cir- the, the circle into the triangle shape on the ball and it's not working. And I keep forcing it. And, you know, the employee and I are just getting further and further and further apart because they don't feel understood because I'm not understanding them. And we want our employees to understand us as the leader and what we're aiming for and the vision and the importance of all of that, because we're the leader and we have a title and power and authority. And the truth is that doesn't mean anything or it isn't that it doesn't mean anything. It's just the weight we're giving it is too much and it gets in the way of our ability to connect with the people that are doing the work and elevate them to their greatest amount of performance. So if we can put power and authority to the side, usually we're in much better shape as a leader. Yeah, Teresa, there's something to leaders who know their employees' personal visions and goals, right? I always tell people, you don't have to know everything. To even say, you don't have to tell me everything, but the more that I know you, the more that I understand, you know, why you work, right? That work is my good friend, Lori Rudiman says, work is not your worth, right? People work and it is a major part of our career and leaders like you and I love what we do. It's part of who, you know, who we are and how we're striving to change the world for listeners of our podcast, listeners of your podcast. but. As employers, how often do we just not know the goals and objectives of the humans we employ, right? And again, if you do this in a state where you're listening, where you turn on your EQ and you're understanding how you're asking and what all of a sudden when you start helping your people achieve their personal goals and objectives, you know, it's like the the talent quotient is wide open. I mean, people are going to want to bring their best because, man, they're the first company that's actually asking me, like, what do I want, right? Yeah. So I worked for a company that part of our procedural process requirements as a leader was to do goal setting around four particular quadrants for every employee. And one of those quadrants was financial. And every time we did leadership development training, The quadrant that they expressed having the most difficult time in was the financial one. Like when I ask people about their financial goals and then they tell me what they are and I'm like, you can't make that kind of money here. I don't know how to fix that for them. And I said, that's where you're going wrong is you're trying to own their goal achievement. It's it's your responsibility to ask about it and then hold them accountable to achieving it. You're not accountable to achieving their financial goals. And that kind of ability in leadership is really important because it balances a couple of our emotional intelligence skills. 
one of which, of course, well, then how do I address the fact when they ask for a raise or when they ask for more money, I can't give them more. I said, you just be honest with them, like be clear, clear as kind. That's not the kind of money that you can make here. These are the things we can do here. These are the benefits to your goal achievement that can be accomplished here. And that's not going to take you all the way there. So you have a decision to make if you want to stay and do those kinds of things here, or if you want to seek elsewhere. And my job is to help you achieve whatever those goals are, whether you stay here or you go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Teresa, as you know, again, I encourage our listeners to submit questions to us, provide even your experiences, right? Something that resonated with you here and your lived experiences, maybe even share with Teresa and I your light bulb moment, like when it officially turned on for you at at whatever age that might've been. For me, again, I've been doing this 21 years and it was probably 12 years into my career, maybe even 14. That was like, whoa, I've been carrying way too much weight on this. And I not have not been owning how I should be showing up into these dialogues. I've been so focused on how everyone else is showing up, right? The other piece I would like to share with our audience and Teresa ask you to comment on. So you also have a podcast, the TNT ESQ podcast. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. And I invite all of our listeners, TNT ESQ, TNT ESQ, go check it out. What led you to to launch your podcast? So Reese Thomas is my co-host, and that's where TNT comes from. It's Thomas and Teresa. And ESQ is exploding the status quo. So when Reese and I met, something that we really enjoyed doing was having conversations where cognitive diversity existed, where we had different experiences and we looked at things differently because part of our personal journey is expanding our perspective. Our truth is only as broad as our perspective is. So the broader you get your perspective, the broader the capacity for truth to exist, our own and or someone else's. And when we decided that we wanted to collaborate and do something together because we enjoyed that so much, you know, why don't we just do that in the space of a podcast and invite people to come and have conversations with us and challenge some of these norms in thinking and being and doing. So our guests have like a pretty broad spectrum of experience, but we do usually hone into a few things around leadership, around personal ownership and awareness, consciousness, and emotional intelligence. So we we usually float within those four realms of topics. Well, thank you. I've been have the opportunity to listen to several episodes myself. And, you know, one of the most enjoyable experiences is to introduce podcast listeners to other great podcasts and bring communities together. I also want to click on just real quick, the You Belong Here, the human first stories. You're the author of You Belong Here, or is it co-author or author? Co-author. Co-author. So I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about the human first movement, which is how you and I connected, just and how do people get connected with that movement? Humansfirst.club is the website. And so that'd be a great space to go if you want to check out, like, what is this thing? And in a nutshell, it's a global group of people who voluntarily choose to come together to really talk about human-centered, human-focused problems and the solutions. How do we own the problems that we are creating, lead with our humanity to solve them? 
And these are leaders from across the world that really want to have a positive impact on our experiences, whether it's an experience in the workplace or in its experience when you go to the grocery store, it's an experience when you're in your own home, it doesn't really matter. And so generally what you'll find when you go to the website is you'll find we have events. And right now, of course, in the pandemic, the events are calls. We have community calls that occur on Monday, Thursday, and Friday. And then every second week, there's an Asia call that happens. And these are free to join. Like, you don't have to sign up. You just click a link and show up for a call. The, the human's first mantra is you belong here. Hence the name of the book. Because anyone can come into this space and be part of the discussion. The only thing we ask is that you lead with your humanity. So in the two years this community has been going on, it's really welcomed people from all of these diverse experiences. And the more diverse that we can create in this environment, the better the impact that we can have, because then we're really dealing with a perspective of the whole, not just a perspective of the few, which is really quite limiting in the impact that we can make. Well, I invite all of you, our listeners, to also, we'll put this in the show notes, humansfirst.club, to at least join a conversation. Right? If we can get people to show up and putting relationships and people we like to say, Teresa, that like we want to help leaders in our platform who believe they have the opportunity to bring out the greatest good of the humans they employ, right? And also not only thinking about work. So we talk a lot about relationships, work, community, and life, and everything that you shared today with our listening audience. You can bring this in any aspect of your life, right? Yes. It creates such an opportunity when you start living fully, bringing your whole self, acknowledging what makes you respond, react, right? Some of the past stories and chapters of your lives that you've lived, you know, I love that your, your past doesn't determine your future. We do, right? We have ownership of that. And you have the same ownership of your future as you do your team and organization's future. So, Teresa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. And I look forward to our next conversation. To our listeners, please, please, please submit your thoughts, your feedback, even your lived experiences. You can email that to contact at talentmagnet.com. You can also reach out to us via social media. We're so thankful that you're a part of this community and we look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. 
The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr., Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.